Welcome to Mountain View Church Audio. Striving to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and leave a rating and review. And please consider supporting this ministry through a tax-deductible donation at mountainview.church slash give. That's mountainview.church slash give. Now here's this week's message. Today I will be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Welcome to Mountain View Church. My name is Elijah, and I'm one of the pastoral apprentices here at Mountain View. It's my privilege to be preaching um, to you guys out of the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And, you know, I, as I prepared for this sermon, it's incredible to me to see how God's sovereignty is at work in the lives of people who honestly sometimes, like myself, just aren't paying attention. Uh, I had had this sermon coming up for the last several months, and I had completely neglected to notice that it was actually Remembrance Day weekend. Um, And how fitting it turned out to be that on a weekend where, as a a nation, we take a moment to consider the sacrifice that people made for us, um, God had laid on my heart a desire to preach a sermon entirely about sacrifice. So that's just kind of a... um, a happy accident that came about out of all of this. And I'm very thankful, first and foremost, for the sacrifices made by Canadian soldiers and the people over the years who have just given up so much so that I can enjoy what I enjoy. And I think out of that posture of gratitude and out of that awareness of sacrifice, the stage is quite well set to deliver the content that we have today. So for most of you who have been with us for a long time, you know that here at Mountain View, we're all about wanting to deliver content that is easily accessible to people who have no church background. We want to be a place where if you don't know anything about the Bible or if you don't know anything about Jesus, you can come here and you can learn about the scriptures and you can learn about who Jesus is in an environment where we're speaking directly to you. That is one of the goals that we have set. We want to be a place where people who have questions can come and get answers. With this series, we are continuing to preach through our habit series. And with this series, we have targeted all of our sermon content to people who have already given their life to Jesus. So today, even though this is a little bit different than what we often do, today I want to make clear that I am speaking to people who have given their life to Jesus. People who have already at some point in their life made the decision that they're going to follow Jesus. They looked at the person and work of Jesus Christ and they said, he laid down his life for me, so I'm going to lay down my sin for him and follow him, right? And that is who I'm, I'm speaking to today. And so without uh, further ado, we're gonna dive right into the text. We're looking at three verses. 
And if you're a Christian, as soon as you read this first verse, you're going to see that it's actually making a pretty bold claim about you. It's telling you exactly who you are and how you fit into God's grand plan of redemption. If you, ha- if you can, please turn to your Bibles now and we'll look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so you may be noticing already immediately, whoever is writing this is making an assumption about the reader. He is making a fairly bold claim about the life that the, that the reader is already living. The text says that we are running a race that is set before us. The text makes that abundantly clear. And so when we see that, and if that's addressed to us as believing Christians, we have to acknowledge a few things in the, tr- in the language that's being used here. First of all, it's not optional. If a race is set before you, it's not optional. That is the path that you're on. And the author chooses to use the metaphor of, of a race. And anything, he could have used any language he chose to, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe that this text is absolutely 100% inerrable. And that means that whatever the author has chosen to write is true for us. We are on a race, not a stroll. We're not taking a walk. We're on a race. We're running a race. And it's hard. All of that imagery should evoke in us an understanding that whatever it is that we're doing as Christians should be incredibly challenging. It's a race and it's going to take a lot out of us. And furthermore, the text says that this race requires endurance. It says very clearly, we should run this race with endurance. Now, it probably goes without saying, but I just speaking from my own life, I don't generally have to endure things that I enjoy. For example, I I enjoy steak and chocolate cake. I don't ever have to endure them. On the other hand, I have to endure dental work occasionally, and I don't enjoy it, right? And immediately what we're confronted with as we look at this is that as Christians, we are called to a life with a destination that's been set for us that we are pursuing and it's hard, and it's going to cost us. It's going to take a lot out of us. See, this term race is really, it's just a metaphor. We're not on a literal race. We're on a metaphorical race. And the metaphor is simply a metaphor for the life that Christians and all people who choose to follow God, even in the Old Testament, have taken on. It is a life of faith, which is a life of sacrifice. There is no other way to look at the life that we live. It is a life of continual dying to self and sacrificing for the name and glory of Christ over and over and over again. Where we see that is if we just go to the text. Now, great kind of Sunday school basic Bible reading um, secret is if you see the word therefore in the text, you always have to pause and just ask, why, what is it there for? So this text starts by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, what does that mean? If you were with us last winter, I think it took us about six months to get through the series. Jeremy Norton, Aaron Monas, and myself, we preached through chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. And we went over and over again. Uh, Week after week, we went over all of the different incredible stories of people who lived lives of faith. 
And the recurrent theme over and over and over again was that these people chose faith over fear. They choose to give rather than take. And they took incredible risks on the say-so of God, on the promises of God over and over and over again. They sacrificed and it cost them. We look, at, we look at Abraham and Abraham receives these promises from God and he says, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the destination is. God told me to go to the land that he'll show me. I don't have any assurances beyond the promises of God, but I'm going to go. I have to go. I have to. For Abraham, it wasn't optional. He had to leave his family and everything behind that was familiar to him so that he could go, so that he could pursue God. You look at Moses. Moses was an Israelite rescued by an Egyptian, uh, an Egyptian princess. He was raised as royalty. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. And though he, was, he had access to all the riches of Egypt, at one point, he looked at the affliction of the people of Israel and he said, I, I, can't, I can't live in the comfort of Egypt if it means I have to live away from my God and my people. I won't do it. I will not do it. And so he strikes out not having the answers that he needs for where his life is going to go. But by faith, he chooses God and God's people over the comforts of life. And if you just want to join with me in reading the text, starting at verse 36 of chapter 11, it just paints even more of a picture. It says, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Chapter 11 paints a picture of giving everything up to follow God. And it provides very clear evidence of what happens in the lives of ordinary people like you and me when we actually make the choice to go without so that we can have God in our life and we can be obedient to the things that he calls us to do. And if we're called to a life of sacrifice, if it's true that a life of faith is a life of sacrifice, the question then becomes, what is it that you are called to give up? As far as I can understand it, there's really only two resources that you or I can can give back to the God who created us. We have time, right? Every single one of us has a certain amount of days that we're going to be on this earth alive. We have, we have a limited amount of time. It's a finite resource. We have finances. That's the other one. At the end of our days, somebody will be able to count out how much money we made in our life. And that will paint a picture of how we viewed the world and who we were. When you look at what we did with our time, when you look at what we did with our finances, our treasure, you'll get a very good picture of what it was that we thought was valuable in this life. And these are the things, these are the two resources that we're called to give up for the name of Christ. So then I guess the question becomes for you and I, what are we doing with those resources that we have? Are we making deliberate decisions to honor God with them? Are we coasting through life? Are we doing a bit of both? Do we even have an answer that we can supply? This sermon is all about the spiritual discipline of stewardship and simplicity. And at their core, as we're going to hopefully unpack well today, at their core, these are two disciplines that ask a great deal of you. They require sacrifice and there's no way to get around it. 
Now, stewardship, that's kind of a, that's kind of a term that in the church we use all the time. And uh, as somebody who didn't grow up in the church, I had no idea what stewardship was until I stepped foot in a church. Like, it's not, it's not common language used in the 21st century. And so, for simplicity's sake, what we're going to do, we're going to just provide a definition, a biblical definition, so that as we move forward, we all agree on what we're talking about. So as I was looking for a definition, I found a great one in um, the Pocket Dictionary of Ethics. It was written by Stanley Grant and Jay Smith. And I thought this just perfectly sums up what a biblical view of stewardship is. It reads, stewardship is the acknowledgement of God as the owner of everything in creation. And as a consequence, viewing human beings as responsible to God for the wise use of all that is entrusted to them to administer in a manner in keeping with God's intended purposes. Okay, so I don't know about you, while I can completely get behind that definition, I've got to say it's pretty wordy. You're, most of you are not able to memorize that one on the, first, um, on the first hearing of it, but the truth is, that is a great definition, but we could probably boil it down a little bit more and simply say that a good biblical definition of stewardship is wise resource management with the intention of honoring God, right? What we see in the text of scripture over and over again is if we value, our, if we value the God that we serve, we're going to leverage everything we have to display that to other people. First and foremost, we want to glorify God and display our love to him primarily. But then anybody who would look into our lives, those who walk in the faith with us, those outside of the faith, wise management of our resources with the intent of honoring God is what stewardship is all about. And if you want something easy that you can go home and memorize, stewardship, good stewardship, is simply wise management with intention. Wise management with intention. And as soon as we start to talk about what does it mean to be wise with the management of resources? What, do, and what, what does it mean to make wise choices? As soon as we start to talk about that, immediately what comes to mind is, if I have a finite amount of resources in my life, are there things that I'm spending them on that, that don't make sense, that aren't valuable? Am I making wise choices with everything that I have, or am I not? And, and the first, as we go down this line of thought, immediately what comes to mind is, am I living a simple life? Have I taken things into my life that are unnecessary? Have I taken commitments to my time that don't further the kingdom of God? Have I taken on financial commitments that really don't benefit me, don't benefit the gospel? Am I living a simple life? Am I living within my means? What does my standard of living look like? Have I overcomplicated it with, with the taking on of things for, for myself? And am I putting myself first or am I putting Christ first with the decisions that I make with the things that I have? And as uncomfortable as it might be for us to hear it, there are really only two ways to handle our resources. On one hand, you can handle them wisely. You can wisely manage your resources. But on the other hand, you manage them foolishly. There is no middle ground. You're making wise decisions or you're not. And we tend to think that foolishness isn't really a big deal. Like if I'm, a, if I'm foolish with my money, is it really that big of a deal? If I'm foolish with my time, is, it, is that really of great concern? 
and as I wrestled through the text here, I realized I think many of us don't, don't understand how significant foolishness is and how problematic it is. If we, if we turn back to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has some incredible things to say about human beings and what it is that defiles us. He's talking about sin and how it is that we end up being separated from God in the first place. And he's kind of addressing these individuals who are talking about, oh, if you eat this or if you eat that, it'll defile you. And Jesus comes against so He says, no, it's not the things that you put in your body that defile you. It's the things that proceed from your heart. And in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23, he says this, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, it floored me. The idea that not putting effort into the decisions that I'm making on a daily basis isn't just foolishness. It's, the, it's, it's obviously and clearly sin. That's a difficult thing to hear. That's a difficult thing to, to wrestle with. Foolishness at its core is just simply a refusal to act on the wisdom or knowledge that you've been given. God's given you knowledge. He's given you wisdom. The entire Bible and everything that's, that's written about in there has value and it is profitable for your life. And it's blatant foolishness to not act upon the things that God's revealed to us. You want to talk about foolishness? I still do foolish things all the time. This is not a question of are you or are you not saved, but can you make better choices than the ones you're making now? Talk about foolishness. Just the other day, it's hilarious that this happened and so timely. But I've worked with 12-volt um, electrical systems for like 10 years. I've worked on automotive applications for a long time. A 12-volt system is simply a car battery, right? So in the jobs that I've had, you'll disconnect the battery of a vehicle so that you can work on it. But occasionally, um, without hooking the power back up to the vehicle, you need to energize like one system. You need to roll the window up, roll it down, turn the brake lights on, whatever. And to do that safely, you take insulated wires, wires that have rubber or plastic on the outside, and you connect those to a battery, and a positive and a negative, and then on the other side, you usually have these little alligator clips that you clip to whatever device you're working on. And I've effectively done this hundreds of times. It's a day-to-day thing that you do as an auto body technician or as a mechanic. But the other day I had to do something with a 12 volt fuel pump and I was in a rush and I was honestly just being lazy. And so I thought, well, I don't want to go get my nice test leads, my nice wires that are for this task because I have a set, but I've got these bare wires in the drawer, right? Just bare mechanics wire. There's no insulation. There's no plastic on them. And I'll just be careful. I'll just do it quickly. It'll only take a minute. And as I'm doing it, I made the mistake, the foolish mistake, of shorting out the two wires. Given that they're not insulated, as soon as they made contact, I think it was about 850 amps ran through that wire, and instantly it turned orange. And you probably can't see on the other side of the camera, but I have second-degree burns all over my fingers now. It was foolish. And now every time I grab something, my, I'm trying not to squeeze too hard because my fingers are they're fitting to burst like a grape. They're going to pop like a grape because I was foolish. I knew better. There's a reason why I was instructed over the course of a decade 
to do things the way that I did at the job that I did. I just, in a moment of laziness, in a moment of unwillingness to really think through what I was doing, I made a foolish mistake and now I'll probably have scars for the rest of my life. So I, I would ask you then, do you ever do anything foolish? Because it's one thing to make a foolish mistake. It's one thing to act out in foolishness occasionally and we all make mistakes. That is part of being a fallen human in a fallen world. We're going to screw things up. I'm not really concerned with the making of one mistake here or there. I'm concerned with the disciplines that we engage in in our lives. That's what matters to me and I think that's what matters to God. And over the course of 30 years, the frequent making of mistakes and engaging in foolish actions, they suddenly become very serious. If we refuse to act on the wisdom or the knowledge that we've been provided over the course of 5, 10, 20 years, all of a sudden that makes a, a huge difference to who we are as Christians and what the world sees when it looks at us and what God sees when he looks at us. And I would just, I would just challenge you with the question, are, are you possibly living as a Christian without paying attention? Not deliberately doing anything wrong, but just not taking the life that you've been called to seriously. It's a question that we should all wrestle with occasionally. And I fear that we don't wrestle with that question as often as we should. Last week, Jeremy talked about hospitality and service. And he talked at great length about all the different things that might motivate you to serve. And I think he did a really good job of unpacking it. But in his message, he made a very important point. He made a very important distinction of all the different reasons a person might be motivated, rightly motivated to serve. One of the things that doesn't make it on the list is guilt or obligation. And at this point, you might be tempted to say that I'm just leveraging guilt to try to get results out of people. I'm trying to leverage an obligation to God to make people perform in a different way. And that's, that's simply not true. I don't want anybody to mishear me. I want people to grasp and I hope to demonstrate that there's something beneath the surface here. There's something significant. See, it's my conviction that it's actually worth sacrificing everything for Jesus because he sacrificed everything for us. When we lived as God's opponents, he gave his only son for us. He gave his only son up for atonement. There is no way he can possibly love us more than he does this moment. And that's true. That's true. That is a truth that you can, that you can build your life on. You can't perform your way into a deeper love from God. That's not how this works. But as we look at who Christ is and what he's done, the natural response is to be compelled to be more like him. Now there's, there's a lot of disagreement about who actually wrote the letter to the Hebrew church, to the Hebrews, wherever they were in the first century. Some people think it was Paul, other, other people have different ideas. And I don't think the authorship actually matters that much because whoever he was, he knew what it was like to live as a Christian and he knew something so important. He knew that we can't do this alone that of our own strength and our own will and our own doing our best, we won't run this race with endurance and we won't achieve the, the life that God's called us to. We won't make it if it's just a matter of do better, try harder every day for us. There's something, there's some component 
that we need that exists outside of ourselves. And that's why he continues in verse 2. He says, as we run this race, we need to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We were made in God's image. You and I were made in the image of God. And sin has marred and messed up that image. We're a bunch of broken pieces trying to reflect God into the world. And it's messy at times. But in that, we see that faith is a component of everything we do. And we're either going to place our faith in God for our satisfaction and our fulfillment and our hope, or we're going to place it in something else. Tragically, so many of us place it in things that promise joy, they promise hope, they promise fulfillment, and they deliver only death and emptiness and hopelessness. That is the true state of all mankind. We place our hope in things that cannot fulfill us because the emptiness in the human heart is a void that can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus made faith being part of a human being. He is the author of our faith. But beyond that, he is the perfecter of our faith. When Jesus was delivered up to be crucified, he says to Pilate, I could, I could call upon a legion of angels, 12 legions of angels, if I didn't want to go through with this. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It's incredible. Jesus had the opportunity to walk away from the cross, but he was too faithful. He was too faithful to himself, to his Father, to his own Holy Spirit, to his plan for redemption that had begun before the world was even formed. He was too faithful. He is the perfection of faith. And through beholding him and seeing the example that he set, our faith, day by day, is perfected. And it grows and it strengthens by looking at him. Don't look at other Christians. You can't look to them. For the, for the ultimate example, they'll let you down. Don't look to me. I mean, that would be a horrible... Like, there's some areas in my life that myself and my wife, we have sacrificed a lot to follow Jesus and to serve the local church. We're convinced that God's plan to save people is through the, the local church body, and we're giving everything that we can to it. We believe that that's the right thing to do, and we've made incredible financial sacrifices to that effect. But there's other areas of our life that we, day by day, are... Are, are struggling to give up to God. So don't, live, don't look to me for, for the ultimate example of how to live as a, as a Christian. I can point you in the right direction, but ultimately I would be doing you a great disservice if I wasn't just pointing you directly to Jesus. You can't look to other Christians. You can't look to me. You can't look to the organization of the church. There are going to be times that you live as a Christian where it all just seems too much to endure. It seems like the, the ask on your life is too much. You're being called to run with endurance because this is hard. It will cost you everything. This is hard, guys. And the antidote to exhaustion is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. When this life seems too much to endure, we go into verse 3. Consider him. When it's too much to endure on our own, we consider him who endured from sinners so much hostility against himself. We consider that Christ was the only person who did not deserve any hostility. 
who set the perfect example of what it meant to be a human being, and he endured so much. And compared to his sufferings, ours are of no account. And he did that for us while we were still in active rebellion against him and rejecting him. We consider him who endured so much hostility. And why do we do that? Continuing on. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. To read this in the negative sense, if you don't regularly consider Christ, if you do not consider the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, you will grow weary. You will grow faint-hearted. You can't do this on your own. Looking to Jesus Christ is the only way to be a good steward of the things that have been given to you because the cost on your own strength is way too much. You won't give it up. You can't do it without focusing on Christ, seeing him as the object of your deepest affection and the ultimate goal that you're striving towards and the race that you've been set on. It's, it's all about Jesus. The reason we look to him is because of the example he set and the work that he did. When we're called to give things up, we look to Jesus and we see that he had all riches. He existed beyond time and space. If we're asked to give up our time and our finances for the sake of the gospel, we look to Jesus. He had all the riches and he had all the time in an eternity of eternities and he gave it all up. He gave it up to be born as a a human being in a fallen, sinful world. And he wasn't born in a castle. He was born in a manger so that none of us on this side of the gospel could ever say, behold Christ, who was born in a castle and never suffered. Behold Christ who had it made while he lived here. He suffered so much. He gave up everything. We look to him. And when it seems like too much for us to part with something, we look and we see what he parted with and it encourages us. I don't know about you guys. I get a lot of fulfillment out of the relationships that I have with the people in my life. I get fulfillment out of my marriage, out of my relationship with my my beautiful little girl, out of my relationship with my mother and my in-laws and people throughout the church. But I know that no matter how much fulfillment I might get out of the relationships that I have, there is no more fulfilling relationship than the relationship that God the Son had with God the Father and His Holy Spirit. Three persons eternally existing as one essence for an eternity of eternities. The Father never being able to be defined outside of being the Father of the Son. The Son never being able to be defined outside of his relationship to his father. And when Jesus Christ went and delivered himself up to death and died on a cross, the God of heaven, his heavenly father, cut off his presence. As the famous theologian and preacher John Piper says, in a matter of three hours, Christ drained the cup of God's wrath that would have taken an eternity to pour out on me. How can that be? How is that possible? Christ endured this broken relationship. It was a perfect relationship, but he gave it up. He gave it up. And we've alluded to this, but he alone was the one who deserved to live. Through sin, death entered. Through one man's sin, death entered into the whole creation. And because all of us sin, all of us die. But Christ, as he came to this world, he committed no sin. He was the one person who deserved to live. Jesus deserved to live. And he laid down his rights to his own life 
He gave it up. He gave everything up. It says in verse 2, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Other translations say that he looked down at the shame. It didn't even count as anything to him compared to the joy of being faithful to his plan of redemption. And now, because of his willingness to give everything away for the sake of others, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We give everything for him. Hear me, church, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, not because we hope if we do one more thing, God will love us more. We don't have to jump through hoops to make him like us. That's not why we do what we do. We do it because Christ is worthy. He is deserving of endless praise and adoration, everything that we can give up to him. And it's a journey. It's a race that you're on that will take the rest of your life and it will cost you everything, but he's worthy and it's worth it. And it's not too late to embrace the discipline of being a good steward of your time, of being a a good steward of your finances, of asking yourself on a regular basis, what am I doing here? Am I just neglecting the wisdom and the knowledge that scripture has given me? Where can I grow? What can I do? At the end of the day, there's nothing worth keeping. There's nothing in this life worth keeping if it's keeping us from Jesus. Not one thing. We're called to lay aside every weight. That's because we're carrying weight. The scriptures doesn't, they don't say that because we're free of weight. We are carrying all kinds of weight. We are dragging a whole series of golden calves through the desert behind us as we strive after the goal. And Christ is saying, get rid of them. Let them go. Let them go. They promise so much and they give you nothing. They promise everything and they deliver on nothing. They give you only death. And we have to be deliberate in examining ourselves and examining our hearts and amputating all the idols that might be dwelling in there, one after another, looking to see how is it that today, today, I can be more like Christ Jesus who loved me and gave himself up for me. How can I model this man to everyone who looks at me? How can I show that I believe the gospel is true with the things that Christ gave me? There's nothing worth keeping if it's keeping us from Jesus, not a single thing. Now, often what we have done as a church is at the end of our sermon, we provide discussion questions because we want this to be relevant to your life or we'll offer up prayer items. We'll say, okay, given that you know, this sermon content is true, we want you to be praying about this, but today... In this series, we're actually giving you assignments. We're calling them spiritual discipline assignments. Things that, if you're asking me, <laughs> as a guy who's in this pastoral apprenticeship program, I don't, I don't see why they'd be optional. I think we should all do this. As a result of preparing this sermon, I have been and will continue to be doing this. Pray for me that I don't stop. Now, the first one, many of you are already doing this, but the first one, I want us to do it. This is the assignment. Examine your treasure. Take a look at it. Take a look at what you're doing with your finances. A critical look. I want you to go back into last month. And I want you to to total up the dollar amount that you gave to charity. Not just here at Mountain View. right? Because while I do believe that the local church is the best mechanism to reach people, it's not the only one. So I want you to look at all of your charitable giving, all of the finances that you leverage to model Christ in the world. And I want you to take that number and I want you to compare it against what your household 
made in a month before taxes. And I want you to figure out what that percentage is. I don't, I don't actually want to know what it is, and I'm not going to tell you what to do with it. That, belong, that discussion belongs to you, and it belongs to your God. That's where I want to leave you with it. But if you don't know what that number is, I would encourage you, don't wait. Take the time. If you're married, sit down with a spouse. If you're single, then sit down on your own and do it. Commit to doing it. What does following Jesus cost you? What does it cost you? We should all be able to answer that question. The second assignment that I have is I want us to examine our time. Examine your time. In the same way, I want, I want you to go back into last month and I want you to go with a highlighter or whatever you find most convenient and I want you to mark down all the time that you deliberately spent actively serving Jesus Christ with the time that you have. And that's, that's challenging. That's uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about spontaneous things where you reacted to a moment. These are amazing opportunities. And I actually believe that God works in really powerful ways when we are led by the Spirit and acting moment by moment in step with what God wants us. But what I really want to get to the heart of here is how much time do you deliberately set aside? Like when, you, when you're planning your month out, what's that number? How many days a week, hours a month, whatever it is, do you sit down and say, no, this is my time where I want to find a way to serve Jesus and serve people. Figure out that hour and, or that time. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to tell you what to do with it. I don't know if it needs to go up or down. That's, that's not where I step into the conversation. I just want us to know. I want us to examine what weight we might be carrying. And lastly, I want you to examine yourself in light of all of this, in light of where your money's at, where your time is at, and what you're doing with both of those things. I want you to then take a moment. And if you're a couple, take a moment together to look at your life and look at your heart and ask sincerely before God, what is it that God is calling you to lay aside so that you can run this race? There's nothing worth keeping if it's keeping us from Jesus. We have so much stuff. We're all so busy. We're so busy. But our busyness so often is a choice. And I want us to be in a place where we choose Christ, where he's our highest treasure. And I want all of us to be able to say that after this, we are going to commit to finding out what it is, what's that one thing right now that we can lay down, what weight is it that we can lay down so that we can run the race and not grow weary and not grow faint-hearted for the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, the example that we find in Jesus and his ministry is that freedom isn't found in the taking and the consuming. Ultimate freedom and everlasting, monumental, life-transforming freedom is found in the giving away of things and the emptying out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being our God and for revealing yourself to us. I thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you poured out your own riches on us at the expense of your own son and your own relationship with him. And he endured so much pain and you endured the loss so that we could be set free from the bondage to things that are 
are just poisonous to us. I pray that as your people, we would be encouraging one another daily to seek after you and to lay down our lives because we have the perfect example of, of what that looks like and why we should do it. I pray that as the Christmas season comes on, we would be a church that are deeply devoted to reaching people for the sake of the gospel at a time where they are ready and willing to hear the good news of Jesus' arrival. At a time when people would never consider stepping into a church building or even considering church at all. At that time, we would capitalize on that cultural moment that you and your sovereignty have given to us. And out of a desire to glorify and honor you, we would serve our community. We would serve our city. We would invite people. We would reach into all of the conversations that we're having with people who don't know you. And we would find a way to say, in any way we can, you have to meet Jesus. You have to come and see this Jesus I follow. I pray none of us would feel a deep burden of guilt, Lord, but we would, out of the freedom and love that you purchased for us at the cross, we would extend love to others. And that ultimately we would understand that that love, that ultimate form of love is revealing you to people who need you. And I pray all of this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you've given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know at mountainview.church connect. That's mountainview.church connect. Have a blessed week.